Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm Shanna. And this week we are talking about Gamera vs. Baragon, the second Gamera film, and Video Nasties, Draconian Days, the second Video Nasties film. Uh, but, Sergey, go ahead. Oh, but yeah, I realized we never covered the first one. Uh, I never saw the first one. Yeah, but, you'll have to see that one at some point. Yeah, what what would be... I guess I'm kind of... We'll have to kind of just get get there when we get there, but I'm curious what that would even be about, because it feels like this one... This one tells a complete story from, yeah, from beginning to end. It's weird, because... I, the the first one basically covers the initial two lists and the way the censorship board got started, like how it was set up, how all of these people got in place, and sort of the things that started the whole furor about it. Because initially, uh, you know, just all of the movies were released, and like there there was home video introduced, and there wasn't really any regulation or ratings board, and. Right. Uh, Parents freaked out, you know, there was some moral outrages and that kind of thing. And, you know, it, it escalated very quickly, <laughs> as you can see from uh, this one. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, before we get going into either of the movies, we wanted to talk about a different thing. So <laughs> there's kind of, <laughs> the kind of a pitch. same thing as last week. <laughs> yeah, so, sort of a pitch, because uh, like it's, it's a million dollar uh, blockbuster crossover pitch. And this is sort of your bit, a thing that you sort of go into and just uh, has been an ongoing thing in the group chat for a while. So perhaps you can sort of introduce the concept as a whole. Oh, yeah. It's it's just who would win? Yeah. Um, who would win? Uh, I think I came up with this idea after seeing uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. And yeah. I was like, hmm, okay. So who would win between uh, Captain Kirk versus I don't know, somebody that we had seen from because Kirk is way so back OP. then? Yeah. yeah, like who would work win between Kirk and say Zatoichi? Right. Um, that well, Kirk would probably take it away, but then it became a thing like who do I know that might be able to beat Captain Kirk? So last week we were talking about right after we finished recording, it uh, it occurred to us we were we were talking about Thing Trek, you know the the Thing versus Kirk or the Enterprise and or the Enterprise I suppose. Uh -huh. And I was thinking, this is probably already an episode of Star Trek somewhere. I mean, it's kind of like the Thing is sort of the Borg in, in Next Gen, sort of. Sort of. Like it's it's a different sort of assimilation, but it's the same kind of thing where it is a collective intelligence that assimilates people into it. But I guess the difference there is that you can come back from being assimilated by the Borg. It doesn't consume you and become you. Uh, uh -huh. uh, so the the thing obviously has um, a more of a horror power than a sci-fi one. You know, the the Borg is the sci-fi version of the horror of the thing. Yeah, so what what I eventually came to the conclusion was that the they have to have picked up the thing um answering a distress call somewhere. Yeah, like a thinged planet, a planet a that thing. is all things. Oh, yeah, okay. I I had been thinking like a like just a ship, but 
I like that. A planet. <laughs> like a planet that's been completely taken over by them. But so they send a distress message to lure travelers there so that they oh, can spread oh. further. Right. So the away team, uh, Kirk, Spock, uh, Scotty, and uh, Red Shirt uh, go down to the planet. And one I of them gets. Who? Yeah, one of them's going to get thinged, and it's uh, I, I, it's going to be like the source of tension to trying to find out who. Mm-hmm. But of course, they already get back onto the ship once <laughs> before they find out that someone's been thinged, and at this point, it's just torn through the lower decks. Right, necessarily. Like a, a lot of like, ensigns are going to become things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Kirk has to find a way to, you know save his ship from being thinged but he can't just blow the ship up you're not going to blow up the enterprise if you're captain kirk well Well, it depends because captain kirk does blow up the enterprise a couple times but yeah those are later movies you're you're not gonna sacrifice potentially innocent members of your crew to defeat the thing though if you're captain kirk Probably not, unless it's like absolutely last ditch. Like, and you know, Kirk will come up with something uh, more satisfying than that. That that's just not the Kirk way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so Kirk probably beats the thing, but the Enterprise takes heavy losses. Well, absolutely, yeah. You got to lose a lot of ensigns to the thing. Uh, and like I, I would assume, kind of similar to uh, Star Trek: First Contact, uh, the their big Borg battle movie, where you know a lot of people get turned into the Borg. That sort of. Oh yeah, I never saw. I don't think I saw that one. I haven't seen it in many years. Like I probably haven't seen it since high school. I I never got that into the next gen movies. The the TOS ones are just much better movie wise. Whereas I do really like Next Gen as a series. Um, I've, I've, more, I've seen more next gen than anything, but that's just because it was up what's on TV when I right. happened to have it turned on. Yeah, I mean it's it's very easy to catch a lot of reruns of next gen. Uh, I, I like I originally got into TOS as a kid, and then a little bit of next gen, but yeah, I, I like both of them quite a bit. But the movies for TOS are just so much better. Mm, the ones I've seen, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, well, so, like I wouldn't say that any of the movies. Like any of the T or any of the TNG movies come anywhere close to two or four or maybe even or six. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. our first movie for this week, we're talking about Gamera versus Baragon. <laughs> Who would win? Well, who'd win? <laughs> who would win? Yeah, that's that's the that's the movie. That's that is you know all of the kaiju fights. It's it's just a that, yeah. This one has this power. We already know what Gamera does. Is this power enough to beat Gamera? Well, the answer could surprise you. Yeah. Uh, certainly can uh, hold Gamera at bay for a really long time. So yep. this is a really weird entry in the Gamera series. <laughs> I was... I, I went for a ride. I, I was on a ride and not the ride I was expecting to go on. It's like Gamera Noir. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Like, I would describe it as the single most influential kaiju film after Godzilla. Because I feel like 
this is the way every American kaiju film or every American giant monster film is made. Like, it has the same sort of plot design. It spends all of that time with the characters. It's the one that they thought, "Eh, Gamera, that's that's an adult series, right? We'll we'll make the second one just clearly for adults. It's not a kid's movie, right? (laughs) They, They haven't found their identity yet, I guess. No, and it's definitely the next one that they do. And I think a lot of the thing is just this one was rushed into production. Like this came out five months after the first Gamera. It Holy takes shit. place six months later, but it but it was made in less time than that. <laughs> so the first one was contemporary, but this one's a month takes place a month into the future. Exactly. Uh, and this it. one's in color, which is oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great to see Gamera in color. I love his giant orange glowing eye, his, his orange glowing eyes. Really nice pop of color added to him. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, the color really helps. Well, one of the things I had a problem with was being able to see what was going on in the previous one. Yeah, it was very dark. Just yeah. a lot of darkness and you, you just get a little bit of fire from Gamera. Yeah, but this one... This one is like a rainbow explosion of color in comparison. Oh, yeah. So where we start with is immediately upon leaving Earth uh, from the Z plan at the end of the previous film, uh, Meteor hits Gamera's capsule and Gamera is unleashed and he's all powered up by it just instantly. (laughs) I like to imagine that the people watching the rocket at the Z plan are like, yeah. And then it gets to the end credits of the first movie. And then just after they're going, they're like, yeah, no. And and that's why Toshio isn't in this, because they have to, like, do a blood sacrifice, obviously, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, none of them are in this. They're like, well, you know what? We're spent. Yeah, we gave it our shot. We, we Someone dealt with else Gamera. could do this shit. Yeah, we dealt with Gamera. That's just not fair. We yeah. won, okay? That's yeah, a victory for us. It's, it's time for someone else to take on this other kaiju. This isn't our job anymore. The end already flashed. Yeah. Uh, so Gamera comes back to Earth immediately, and he destroys the largest dam in Japan, the Kurobe Dam. It's awesome. Such um, a great effect. Like they, the the uh, miniatures are amazing. Oh, it's so cool. And, and they don't use the animation, uh, like, yeah, the animated stuff for his uh, shell spinning anymore. They they have a model, I guess, on a string that spins around. They swing it around like a wrecking ball. Yeah, and he's basically one of those spinning fireworks wheels. It's so cool. And the fire, you can't, you couldn't tell before, but the fire is blue. Yeah, it's like blue flames coming out of it, and he, you know, he spins like one of those fireworks, and they just have it like fly up and like smash into the dam to break it. Uh, and they also have the blowtorch mouth. It's really cool to see that in color as well. And yeah, he yep. just destroys this dam completely. Like, oh my god, yes, this movie just skips the bullshit and gets straight to the point. This is what I want to see. <sighs> And then we have to uh, meet our people because this is the adult Gamera movie. And this, like I said, it's like every American 
uh, Godzilla film, like the, the American 2014 Godzilla, where, you know, at the beginning we get a monster attack and then we spend about an hour with some soldiers. I don't remember any of these people or what their point was. I, these well, people. They had I'm Brian kind of, Cranston. They, had and they Brian just Cranston. were like, they, they're just like, let's not. Yeah. Well, cause let's, again, let's Brian, Cranston Brian Cranston is there. Yeah, he's only there for the initial monster attack as well. And like, if you're going to get rid of, if you're not going to have Godzilla for like another hour, at least give me Brian Cranston. It's like, <laughs> it's like a broken promise. And you know what? At, at the beginning of this movie, that's how I felt with uh, this one. It's like, is this, I, I and I didn't realize until you said it, but yeah, I was like, is this going to just be Godzilla 2014 again? Where I was like, oh, the first five minutes of this were so good. Except I feel that this one pays it off so much better. <laughs> well, like, I, I love the payoff of this. Like, the last half hour of this is so good. And, and there's a lot of stuff around there that I really like. And I just love Baragon so much. But obviously, we will get to him. Oh, uh, oh we will. But <laughs> not for a while. Not for quite a while, because for a long we've time. got like a solid 40 minutes of just people and no monsters. Uh, because They don't even talk about monsters. No, because like, so Gamera does his, uh, he, he destroys the dam, and then he notices that there's a volcanic eruption happening somewhere. And he just leaves. He, he's just like, ah, I don't need to bug, bug humanity. I've, I've oh, said yeah, my right. piece. <laughs> He, he just, just wants up. fire. He doesn't care where he gets it from. Yeah, so he just burrows into a volcano, and we do not see him again until, like, an hour has passed, I think. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. It's it's a long time. I did pretty mark well. exactly when we saw Gamera, but I did mark the time between uh, the first, the end of the first Gamera scene and when a monster gets mentioned. Right. And it is really 40 minutes. Yeah, I, I'd say that's probably, I, I think I calculated around 40 minutes myself as well. Uh, so we meet a pilot. Uh, he's quitting his job because he wants to follow some sort of unspecified dream. He doesn't really say what it is, but he needs more money. That's what you do when you need more money. You quit your job. Yeah, and it seems like we're entering a gangster slash Yakuza plot, although it doesn't turn out to be. It's just like, when we first meet this guy who's setting up the plan, he's got all of these guns and grenades. He looks like he's trying to be a Yakuza. Yeah, he really does. Except he doesn't really end up being involved in any sort of criminal enterprise. He's just got this giant opal that he hid in a cave in New Guinea where when when he was fighting in World War II. Like, I guess he was a POW uh, in New Guinea. For some reason, yeah, or or something like, yeah, yeah, like it's it's unclear how that exactly fell out, but uh, the pilot invests his severance pay in this expedition. He's going to find this giant opal that is hidden in a cave somewhere. Uh, and so this is Keisuke, our main character, basically pilot uh, Keisuke. I caught one human's name, and it's and it's not his. Oh, really? Okay, I, I know uh, his name. I don't know his brother's name, but I know the three guys who go on oh, the expedition. Oh, the, the one guy starts with an O. Uh, yeah, the main, or the, the bad guy, this is o o Onodera. 
because there, there's always a bad guy. If you gotta you have, have a bad guy, like three or four people going after a jewel in a jungle. Yeah, I mean, One it's a treasure of the Sierra Madre thing. Yeah, like, like, like when you're putting out the Craigslist ad, you're like, okay, we need the smart guy, we need the tough guy, we need the hero, and we need the traitor. Uh, are you? And then in the interviews, it's like, so which one are you? Oh, I'm going to be the traitor. You're hired. <laughs> well, and and like, so Keisuke is obviously the good guy because he's he's going on this expedition for his brother. He's the first person we've met. We know he has dreams. Uh, and uh, Onodera is the shifty guy in sunglasses. So he's obviously the traitor bad guy. And then our third guy, uh, Kawajir, Kawajiri? Or Kawajiri? Oh, right, yeah. Kajiri, that's right. Uh, he's just the dumb guy, <laughs> the fat guy. He, right. He's the one yeah. with the family who who is uh, going to be sad, who everyone's going to be sad when he dies, because he obviously is not going to make it. <laughs> uh, I forgot about him. Like, but I, so, oh, sorry, he go dies so, He dies so yeah. fast. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if he even does anything. Well, he does something very important because he is the one who finds the opal. It's just also what kills him. Oh. <laughs> so first, we we they're setting up the plan. Uh, so Keisuke is going in place of his brother who hid the opal, and I'm not really sure why. I guess he just isn't as mobile. Like maybe well, some he, sort of he has a limp. He has a yeah. limp. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe it is a war injury. Who knows? It's and also all... Keisuke is able to fly. Which is sort of essential for their. Plan. Oh right, with the helicopter, right? I yeah. thought I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, what no. What movie did he, you watch? He does not have superpowers. He just, you know, he's a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the boss warns them that there are extremely poisonous scorpions in the cave. So, so good thing for them to know. Extremely yeah. poisonous, unbelievably poisonous. Venomous, or, venomous actually. Right. Yeah. Yes. Maybe it's both. I don't know. Maybe I think both. he like says. These... Poisonous is is the word oh, yeah. he uses. Yes, venomous is the correct. <laughs> so they they're going on a ship and they're posing as merchant seamen, uh, but to go AWOL and take a helicopter to New Guinea, and then come back on the sh- same ship with the opal. Sure, uh, and they figure that's their whole plan. Yep, that's that's all they're doing. And I don't even understand why they needed to invest a whole bunch. Like, he invested his entire severance pay in that. Like, if you were investing all of that, couldn't you just get a flight there or something? I don't know. It seems it, it seems circuitous. This, yeah, especially since once they get to the island, they don't even set anything up with anyone. They just fly their helicopter right in there. Yeah, and... So this was initially going to be – so the the sequence where they fly their helicopter into New Guinea, uh, we have this big dance sequence which greets them there, which is kind of cool. Uh, but it, initially, they were going to have a topless dance sequence here. That's how much okay. they thought this was an adult film, that this was a, a series for adults. Um, hmm. it, it's just mind-blowing. I can't that, believe it. Don't think – that wouldn't have worked. No, I mean, I'd be like, okay with it, but I oh, wouldn't yeah. have worked. It would have been so weird. And and totally, while they were shooting the movie, it's like, you know, I think this probably isn't a good idea. We'll, we'll just leave out the topless dancers part. Because already by the time they were making it, the first one was a big success. And a lot of the success was with children. 
but they hadn't really right. caught on to it yet. Because <laughs> like, they did it right away afterwards. They immediately. didn't know who was going to love it. Like five months later, it was out. So they were just instantly making this other one. And it's like starting to filter in like, oh, wait, this is a movie that kids love. Everyone identifies with Toshio. We're getting all of these Toshio fan letters. Uh-oh. <laughs> and they were. Like, Toshio was a sensation. Kids love Toshio. Man, that kid could just get into your heart, get into your mind, or get, get into, into Area 51. Uh, also, really incredible matte painting here. The matte painting when uh, they go to the uh, New Guinea village. Just an incredible matte painting. Mm, like yes. when, when the helicopter's landing, like it just looks real. It's huge I, glass. I actually didn't even catch it until yeah. you mentioned it because, yeah. It just looks like a real landscape. But no, it's just this amazing matte painting. It's really beautiful. And they, they give it like a long introductory shot as like they show the helicopter come in and land in front of it. Uh, so in this little village, they meet one Japanese doctor who's been there since World War II, and he warns them about the cave, that it's in the Valley of Rainbows. And anyone who enters the Valley of Rainbows will never return alive. If you go into the Valley of Rainbows, you'll you'll learn things about yourself and you won't want to leave. You'll be changed. And, of course, they go anyway. They rationalize that it's just a smokescreen to protect the vast treasures this uh, small primitive village obviously must have. Must. Well, it, it, must. Turns, it turns out they do, but that's beside the point. It turns out they have a couple really powerful gems. Uh, I love how Keisuke has tiny little expedition shorts. They're hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, so they, they find their way to the cave. I, I guess I forgot to mention there's also this girl who is she the doctor's daughter no she's, she's just uh, like, a member of the tribe who yeah. speaks japanese her name is right. karen karen yes. and she has <laughs> amazing modern fashion sense yes despite uh, living in this village for mm -hmm. most of her life well, and she's also immediately caught on she's she's the only one in the village who's learned the language from the doctor so, you know, obviously she's got bigger plans uh, than just this small village. Yeah, but we never find out. No, because... but eventually we, we assume that she's going to enact those plans after the end of this movie. Oh, spoiler uh, alert, she lives. She lives. I mean, we're only killing bad guys and you, you got to set up one uh, comic relief guy to die so we can feel bad about him. Uh, but so they, they find the cave and they find a skeleton uh, as well as the opal. And there's sort of this open question. Did Keisuke's brother murder someone when he was hiding this opal? Huh. Because they find know. that skeleton and maybe like he doesn't seem to be that bad of a guy, but it's really unclear what sort of business he's in. Like, there, there does seem to be something kind of sketchy about him, especially when we, we thought he was a gangster when he was introduced. I had him in my notes up until, like, well, the return. It's like, oh, yeah, he's the brother. He's not just a Yakuza boss. What the heck? Yeah, when you think about what the the uh, the Japanese army, uh, some of the stuff they did during yeah, this time, I mean, it's, uh, they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't super innocent. No. 
so yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like maybe his brother murdered someone because they pause on it for a moment. It's like, what is this skeleton doing here? But then immediately uh, Kawajiri finds the opal and he celebrates. Like, who does he celebrate? Man, he is just so excited to find this thing. And I would be excited to find it, granted. Yeah. But this is the biggest celebration I've ever seen anyone make about anything. Like, people win jackpots on, like, game shows and do not have <laughs> this kind of gigantic reaction. And he's in a cave full of very venomous scorpions, as we have been previously warned. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, like, we've even seen a few of them. He, the one guy shot one. Yeah. So we know they're there. Uh, and certainly Onodera knows they're there because he sees one on his leg uh, while he's celebrating, but he just says nothing because he's uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> and it does. It does. Of course, the wound does look really nasty. Mm -hmm. uh, and he goes blind and dies like within the course of a minute. It, it, it goes through very fast. So it's, yeah, it's one of those bad scorpion venom. Yeah. The, the really bad ones. Just real nasty. Uh, and Keisuke is very upset. He he cries over his friend. Like, I get the idea that the two of them go back a ways, but Anadero is just a hired guy. That's kind of... You know, I really wasn't analyzing the relationships between these guys all that much. I was just like, when are they going to get to <laughs> the fireworks factory? <laughs> totally. I mean, I've just seen this movie so many times that I've started to think about a lot of these things. Because, like, I mean, I watched this movie three times just in the past week alone. <laughs> I thought I had somehow, like, no joke. I thought at some point that I had, like, clicked on the wrong trailer or something like like clicked on something that opened up a whole different movie while I was watching Gamera. There's no <laughs> monsters. There's no monsters. There's there's a, there's no mention of monsters. Like I thought there's no monster bones. This isn't a monster cave. It's it's an opal cave with scorpions. It's exactly what they said it was. Yeah. There's no. Did Although, I like put it? As it turns out. <laughs> well. Yeah. Did I put in Japanese Indiana Jones? Um, yeah. And then I, it kind of hit me. It's like, well, what if this movie is like, say, um, American Werewolf in London, where you need to spend this time, this much time with the dead meats to really, really be happy when they get killed? I, 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 really, it's not I, a fully formed thought, actually. I would say that that's really true of American Werewolf. Uh, you do spend a lot of time with the dead meats, but well, no, they're oh, not yeah. even dead meats. They're, but you spend a lot of time with them. It works there, and I was like, well, maybe it's going to work here, so that when like when the monster finally comes, you're just you've been building up and building up, and you're just so excited, and you're like, fuck yeah, it's monster time. But at this point, I wasn't confident that uh, that it was going to pull it off. Yeah, and I guess what's weird about all of the human stuff in this is it doesn't have a lot of payoff when the monsters show up, because we do have a little bit of payoff. Obviously, Karen is very important and has a lot of important things to communicate about how to deal with Baragon. But at the same time, it feels like as soon as Baragon shows up, 
the human stories start to just fall to the wayside and stop mattering. They, they're they kind of all just an origin story for Baragon more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, because the human story actually keeps going for a while after Baragon shows up. And at that point, we're just like, why do any of these people care about any of this still? Yeah, it's weird. And and I even have that in my notes. Like, how do these people like how are these people still caught up in their petty bullshit at this point? Like that that is somewhere in my notes. I need to go to into it. the it's like exactly. the guy's like, I need to go into the lake. Baragon's in the lake. <laughs> so <laughs> fuck the lake. Fuck your whole plan. <laughs> Just call it a loss. It's unreal. But we're not uh, at the point yet. We're, yeah, we're still a ways off that. So initially, uh, so uh, Kawajiri dies. Keisuke is very upset. And uh, Onodera convinces Keisuke to give him the opal in exchange for the gun. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like, oh, well. It's like, okay, yeah. I'll hold on to the opal for safekeeping. And uh, Keisuke is like, uh, all right. If you give me the gun, that seems reasonable. Uh, and Keisuke is willing to do that. Or uh, Onodera is willing to do that because he has dynamite instead. So, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so while Keisuke is like looking at Kawajiri's body and he finds a picture of Kawajiri's family and he cries. And while he's doing that, uh, Onodera sets off dynamite and traps Keisuke inside the cave. Presumably killing him. Presumably killing really. him, or at least he thinks he kills him, but yeah. we see obviously that he doesn't because what we see is Keisuke just coming to in the village hospital with no real clear idea of how he ended up back there. We don't know how he got there either. Yeah, Nobody no. Knows how he got no, there. I have no clue. Uh, but he does immediately learn from Karen. I, I think it's Karen who tells him, or maybe it's the doctor. Uh, that the opal is a very important magical item, and the, he has to bring it back because it's a bringer of great misfortune. And I, I find it weird that they tell him that it's a bringer of great misfortune rather than saying it's an egg for a scary monster and not, yeah, in fact, a jewel. <laughs> probably because they want him to uh, believe it. And these people could have just said, well, hey, it's another it's another monster like Gamera, but they might in their isolated village have not have heard of Gamera, so might not be able to make that basis of comparison. Maybe not. Because, like, it doesn't seem like they have television or anything, and Gamera was very recent. Very recent. <laughs> like, still actually not A few done. months ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Onodera gets, meanwhile, is back on the ship, and the ship's doctor is giving him infrared treatment for some athlete's foot that he got while in the jungle, or just like some form of jungle rash. Um, they, yeah, it's athlete's foot. Yeah, I think they do say specifically that it's athlete's foot. Although, I don't know, I guess he got that from the jungle? You, you can. I, I guess think. so. You can get anything from jungle. The jungles are scary. They're, they're full of life. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, Not for me. They could, yeah. They could also be full of death. Uh, he leaves to play Mahjong uh, and leaves the infrared ray uh, pointed at the opal unknowingly. And the infrared superheats it and it starts to glow and pulse. Really cool effect with the opal mm -hmm. melting and turning into an egg and glowing and pulsing and then it hatching. 
like it's all one consistent effect and then like the baby baragon with oh its little, God, it's little flashing baby eye oh i love it it's so cool and like just a very very impressive effect i would say that the effects in this one are a huge leap from the oh. first oh yeah um Every, everything in this movie is way better than the first, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Just like a, a much higher level of quality. The effects work is just impeccable. Like the miniatures in the first were kind of wonky and charming. Here, they're still clearly miniatures a lot of the time, but they look pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like well, they're, well, like they're the very... damn scene. Oh, yeah, totally. Because like, and, and the, the damn scene would be especially important er, uh, impressive because water is so hard to do with miniatures. Yeah, that's the thing I was waiting for. It's like, how is the water going to look? And it looked looked good. It looked good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the boat that Onodera is on is rocked with explosions, but fortunately it's already uh, in Osaka Harbor, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's in the harbor. Uh, um, and we see Keisuke's brother... Uh, on the land watching the boat exploding and people evacuating so he runs up to see what's going on there uh and anadera just shows up like super empty-handed it's like uh so i don't have the opal and the other two both died they fell off a cliff yeah that's what happened (laughs) and the guy's immediately like did you just kill my brother no, it's a it's a couple scenes later. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's when he comes to see him at his house, and then he pretty much just admits it. <laughs> right, right. But at this point, he's just like, uh, they both fell off a cliff. I'm so sorry, but also there's no opal, uh, and the guy who is coming to buy the opal is there with the oh, brother. Right. This is where he's like, uh, uh, it's okay. The opal's at the bottom of the lake. I'll hire divers. It'll be fine. Just trust me. And the guy's like, dude, don't even talk to me till you have an opal in your hand. Exactly. He's like, I don't think so. You you come talk to me when you got it. Tell with this. And then this is when the water starts boiling. <laughs> and up comes Baragon. Oh. oh, my God. I was like, I'm not even mad that we spent 45 minutes with a boring, dumb jungle thing jungle adventure <laughs> yeah baragon is probably my single favorite kaiju like he's so, so silly he's so clumsy <laughs> it's, it's I, um it's like i i feel the same way about how ridiculous he looks that i did about the giant claw bird but i love baragon i just want to hug him he's so lovable like so he it's it is a dude in a suit but it's it's an all fours suit so he's always kind of down on the ground like a big lizard dog and he's very doggy he's very dog-like even though he's really more of an alligator yeah and he's got like one big unicorn horn he's got like the stegosaurus plates on his back uh he's got a tongue like yoshi but it's a battering ram please go ahead it's a bat it's a tongue that shoots out super cold ice breath 
Yeah, like Insta Freeze gas, which is Gamera's weakness. We already know that. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, he, he's uh, yeah, because yeah, they used the freeze bombs on him in the last movie. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so like it feels like oh my god, this is a monster that's specifically created to defeat Gamera. Uh, there's a scene where he, I don't know if this happens yet, but I want to mention the scene where like he freezes the airplane. Oh yeah, that's coming up just, pretty soon. Yeah. But the, yeah, that is amazing. It just breaks apart in the air. Oh, so cool. Mm-hmm. Like just a very impressive effect. Like the the gas or the the freeze gas uh just surrounds the plane and it just sort of turns to ice and shatters. It's really well done. It's it's really cool. Uh so first though, we we have him uh tonguing down the Kobe Port Tower. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really I, love it. I, 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 every time he was on the screen, I was just imagining Yoshi sound effects. <laughs> so he heads for Osaka, which is where Onodera is talking to Keisuke's brother in his house. And that's where they're talking about hiring the team of divers again. It's just like back to it. And th- yeah. this is where I have my notes. Like, I like how they're still stuck on their petty bullshit when it's literally like their opal. The thing that they're after itself has turned into a giant world-threatening monster. Yeah, they... Like, the guy's, like, doesn't even... He never even thinks to himself, like, huh, it sure is weird that uh, this cursed opal from a cursed cave in a jungle that everybody warned us about happened to get lost in the same at the same time in the same lake as a gigantic monster showing up. Yeah, like, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, he he never makes that connection. He's like, no, he just wants to get the opal and the monster. Does he just not even know about the monster? He never really mentions it directly. Well, I, I feel like around here he's got to start being aware of it because he starts following their plans somehow. Because later oh, yeah, he's right. trying to steal something else from them that's involved <laughs> in the plan. <laughs> This guy sucks. He is such a bad villain. <laughs> and it, it's also at this point that he kind of lets it slip. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to come away empty handed after killing two men. <laughs> He's like, oh, uh, I mean, no, I didn't. I didn't murder the two of them. That's I. It's just a figure of speech. I mean, how they died. They just I mean, it's it, no, it wasn't. If they fell off a cliff and I feel responsible, that's what I mean when I say I killed them. It's as if I pulled the trigger myself, but I didn't. <laughs> so they have a brawl, obviously, uh, and Onodera knocks out his wife, knocks out the guy's wife, and then tips a locker over onto the guy. So he's trapped and he steals his wallet and he leaves them both trapped in this house and lights it on fire and kills them. Like we he don't stole the wallet first. Of course he stole I the hate wallet. This first. Man. He's such a bad guy. He's just an impossible. Where did you find guy. this guy? Oh, right. Um you put out an ad for a betraying guy. Yeah, Craigslist for henchmen. And like we, we don't actually hear about them dying here. We we just know that there's a fire and that also uh Baragon's on the way to town. <laughs> he just leaves <laughs> them trapped under debris and takes off. Yeah. Uh, so this is where we hear a news report about what Baragon's capabilities are. So the freeze gas 
uh, is kind of perpetually coming out of him. So the temperature within 200 yards of Baragon is 20 below zero, which is kind of neat. Uh, Just that he has this ambient cold around him. It doesn't really come up that much, though. No, it's really only in these early parts here uh, where we have this big, cool mini tank battle or just a a whole bunch of tanks come after him and he freezes them, too. We We get to see a lot of the freeze gas in action and lots of frozen snowy miniatures, which is so great. I I love seeing snowy miniatures. And here's where the airplane thing happens. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, no, don't hurt Baragon. He doesn't mean to be bad. I know, I feel just like Toshio in this. I was like, come on, he's just a big doggo. Look how happy he looks all the time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The military guy's like, we have to attack the monster from outside the range of its tongue's attack. (laughs) Great line. And Baragon just he just curls up and goes to sleep in the middle of town. <laughs> <laughs> he does this a few times. He's yeah. uh, sleepy. He's so cute. Uh, but, of course, his eyes open when he just senses missiles aiming at him from faraway mountains. And then he gets to use his devastating long-range attack, which is the coolest uh, thing in the movie. Uh, so I was waiting for this because they had so much, like, the Gamera... The, the first Gamera fights in the first movie were like all of his standard powers. But then once the chips were down, he gets to use his – he gets to reveal his cool powers, his hidden right. powers, which in this case for Gamera was his, uh, was his UFO rocket UFO thing here. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to see Baragon's cool superpower. How is he going to deal with these missiles in such a devastating – Oh my god, do you want to say what it is? It's a rainbow attack. It's a rainbow attack that comes out of the glowing spikes on his back. So like they glow up and then a rainbow just forms out and like goes to wherever he needs stuff destroyed. And it just, it detonates all of the missiles. It disintegrates a jeep. It's devastating. It's very devastating. But... It has an unintended side effect of Gamera immediately noticing it and heading over there. Remember Gamera? Yeah, well, Gamera has been feeding on this volcano, but this this is a new giant energy source. It's like, oh, well, that, that looks really tasty. Gotta taste that rainbow. And so he, he shows up in his UFO form and just crashes into it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then... And, oh, what happens, like... How so did, the people of Osaka, point, first the people of Osaka all get down into air raid bunkers, uh, which was cool because I don't usually see this in kaiju movies, or at least old kaiju movies, where all of the people have to hide somewhere. Yeah, we just kind of assume that they got out of the way or that they're just too small for us to see them in these wide shots. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting to have them actually put that in where all of these people have to go hide in bunkers. Um, So Baragon and Gamera get their first big face-off. I like that it starts with them just screaming at each other for a while like animals. (laughs) I feel like the, the kaiju fights in this are more animalistic than you usually get in a kaiju fight. They really do feel like big animals. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um 
like like Baragon never rears up on his hind legs and punches or anything. No, uh, Gamera kinda... does, but that's kind of his thing. Yeah, uh, Gamera gets slapped a bunch by Baragon's tail, which was really funny. <laughs> Gamera actually gets his ass kicked in this fight. Oh yeah, he gets beaten real bad. Uh, they start fire versus ice battling the ice tongue ray with Gamera's blowtorch mouth. Uh, and, and the ice winds. Ice winds. Gamera gets frozen up and seems to just fall asleep or maybe die. People assume that he dies. But first, first he's got to oh, do right. Right. The, the thing where like his hand curls up into a fist and he makes the claw mark on the ground and he punches the ground and then gets up and does like a big punch right on the side of Baragon's face and then he seemingly dies. But well, he like, did the cool anime claw punch fist get up thing. Yep. He did the one. And so, and it's set up first because like he seems to be asleep and Baragon comes and prods him with the unicorn horn. And then he does it. Like he's, he was like lulling him into a false sense of security. Uh, and just copious purple blood coming out of oh, Baragon's so face. Oh, so much purple blood. He's Unbelievable. Like, like this, this would, this movie would get banned in our uh, the feature we're going to discuss next. <laughs> if, yeah, it was, like, if the blood was red. Yeah, and like it's it's amazing just how bloody uh, the fights between Gamera and Paragon are. And this is a, a mainstay of the, like this is the only one that is sort of aimed at adults, but the bloodiness of the fights will remain throughout the series, even though they are made for kids from here on out. Really? Because I've never oh, yeah. seen a gory kaiju fight before this. I know. It's one of the weird things about the Gamera series. They just go into it because they could get away with it because they could make the blood any color and they were big, silly monsters. So people just didn't think about it. <laughs> it's true. He's so silly. <laughs> so silly. I love him. He's so good. So Baragon rolls Gamera on his back. And and that's how he ends up stuck frozen solid. He he's both on his back and frozen, so he can't like light up his rockets, I guess. Yeah. And he seems to die or go into hibernation. And we won't see him for quite a while now. We're at about the halfway point of the movie, I think. Yeah. And he does not show up again until I think the last fifteen minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so Karen shows up and she's like i know baragon's weakness take me to your military leaders and we'll we'll figure this thing out and then the pilot takes her to the military leaders and says hey this is a lady from a random island in new guinea she she knows how to kill baragon and they're like well sure we'll listen to anyone at this point yeah they're like i mean uh after we don't all this have any ideas. Stuff. yeah I mean, I mean i feel like a lot of the time in, in these sort of movies, once you're past that first one, it's really just anything goes because all of these people who are in these big government positions should be like, well, that sounds ridiculous. But we did just have to deal with a giant flying turtle with rocket powers. So, I mean, who's to say what's real? <laughs> uh, and this is also where Keisuke finds out that his brother and his brother's wife were both killed in the fire burning down the house. And he goes to settle the score with on Onodera. Uh, and they have a big brawl and he ties him to a post. Uh, and this is actually, it's after that, that uh, Karen goes and reveals that the weakness is water. Somehow they have like this whole sequence of him finding out about his brother and fighting Onodera before 
like in between her saying that she knows what Baragon's weakness is and him actually taking her to the military to tell them what the weakness is. I know Baragon's weakness. Okay, but I've got like that's I gotta great, beat this but guy I've got to do this first. Okay, so like okay. I know we'll go after. Okay, I know okay, it's world I threatening. We'll I know. Go after. I know the giant monster thing. I know, but listen, we have this other plot that needs to be resolved. <laughs> Uh, Karen also reveals she has a 5,000 carat diamond, which will attract Baragon. Because the the Baragon is attracted to light. Yeah, um, and it's all sparkly. Sparkly. And I love um, this sequence so much because <laughs> they just hang the diamond from a helicopter and just lure it over land to a lake. Are you sure this will work? If you doubt this, then you doubt the gods themselves. <laughs> like it's, it was good of him to doubt it because he was right. Uh, but I, I really, I, I love just Baragon sort of glumphing over land after this, the sparkling diamond in the air, just like by a toy helicopter and him crawling <laughs> over just a bunch of train sets and stuff. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> A uh, thing I notice here when Gamera, or sorry, when when Baragon realize or starts to, just stops following it for some reason, he he gets to a point he's like, I don't want to follow this anymore, and he kind of starts blinking. He just stops and starts blinking. Oh, yeah. And I like that his eyelids are vertical, so he blinks sideways. They close the close from the sides. I'm just happy that he has eyelids, honestly. Yeah, I mean, impressive additional effect. Like, they didn't need to make him able to blink. I don't think Gamera can blink. No, I'm pretty sure Gamera doesn't blink. At least not yet. I think maybe later. Right, right. Uh, But ultimately, he stops following the diamond, and they're really not sure why. And it cuts back to this general just berating Karen and humiliating her. And she's crying and upset. It's like, well, this didn't work. You've ruined everything. (laughs) Yeah. Our only hope is gone. Now we had no other plans other than what, what you did, random girl. And you were wrong. So so screw you. (laughs) Where's that? Where's that turtle kid? (laughs) <laughs> yeah we we need toshio's advice on this one uh, but it turns then, out yeah please i love it so the scientist comes in and is like it's well, the ship's doctor oh the ship's oh is that who he is yeah the the doctor who had been doing the radiation treatment for onodora on the ship uh he shows up and he's like so i think the thing is when i was treating Onodara, I have such a hard time saying his name. I have no idea why. Uh, that he gave him this infrared treatment, and Karen and me is like, this is why. So infrared radiation incubating the egg is the big deal here. Yep. So so th- I love this part. He's not a normal Baragon. He's a giant radioactive Baragon. Yeah. A and- normal Baragon would be so much easier to deal with. And also, he's accelerated in growth because normally it would take 10 years for a Baragon to hatch. Uh, but obviously, he'd hatch just instantly there. Yeah, he really 
didn't take very long at all to go from Babo to Big Babo. Yeah, he was so tiny. And they figure because he was created by infrared rays, he should be attracted to infrared rays, I guess. I guess. Uh, which, you know, it's it's one of those gamma assumptions, and it works. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, nothing... At this point, it's like, fuck, nothing else has worked. Yeah, and Karen's like, listen, we can just keep him immobilized in the meantime, too. We, we just need to create rain. If it's raining, he's not going to go anywhere. So they just create rain on him with helicopters. Just and drop he's rain. so grumpy. He looks so He doesn't cute. like it. He doesn't he was, like the rain. I I love him just sleeping grumpy in the rain. He's just like on on on, on this miniature set, just looking kind of grouchy, kind of rolling back and forth. It's so good. <laughs> uh, in the meanwhile, they're they've there's a ruby death ray that they've been developing they're like oh we can just modify this we'll put the giant diamond in it we'll change it to infrared rays we've got this <laughs> ruby death ray is like well why don't we just skip all that and use the death ray on baragon and everyone just kind of looks at him yeah it's like the steam thing in the first one it's like i don't know if that's really that dumb of an idea compared with some of the other things that we're trying I mean, you might as well try shooting it at him once before you take it apart and modify it, just to see. Yeah, I figure it couldn't hurt. Well, it's well, a, it could power him up could more. Hurt. You know, that that yeah. seems to happen sometimes. Yeah. You choose the wrong thing, they just get more powerful. Uh, so they put the death ray in a truck, and they're attracting Baragon with the death ray. <laughs> so they're just like using the diamond. Uh, just and infrared rays through a death ray, just to attract him, not even to harm him, just to just to get him to come up a mountain towards a lake. And it works this time. It works, although briefly the engine dies and he gets really close to them. Uh, and also Anodara figures, like he hears about this plan somehow, and he's like, "Oh well, that's a huge diamond. Uh, I'll take the diamond instead of the opal. I'm I'm just gonna go steal it from." this world-saving thing that's going on that would surely be the most heavily guarded thing in history, and also there's a giant monster after it. He's like, ah, I'll steal that diamond. I'll steal, yeah. It's like, oh man, that... It's like I can see him seeing it on the news. Thousands dead after Baragon killed. Diamond used to lure Baragon. It's like, diamond. that is where I need to be right now. Yeah. Uh, and he shows up on the lake by, and attacks the death ray truck by boat and steals the diamond from them. Just incredible. Like, I mean, I got to give it to this guy just for his level of uh, his level of dedication. He, he just <laughs> yes. he goes for it. He is willing to do whatever <laughs> it takes to get his gold. He wants it. And, and he gets it. He, he gets, gets it his back. diamond. He gets and that then, time and he gets it. <laughs> oh, he gets it. <laughs> he get he so Baragon gets his Yoshi tongue, wraps it around him. This is a like a special, a, like thing that they use just for this one shot. Yeah, this one um, shot of just the tongue wrapped around him, which looks so cool. Yep, and it's actually a really gross tongue from up close. Yeah, very textured. 
a lot of it's just bits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, don't look at a close-up of a cat's tongue. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, so Baragon yeah. eats him. Another yep, uh, he's eaten. Yeah, he, and, and, go ahead. <laughs> and everybody's just devastated because that one diamond, because you're never going to find another diamond in the world. Well, not another uh, 10,000 or 5,000 carat diamond. This is a magical giant diamond. Is it? Is it really that rare? Are there really no other ones? Five thousand. Like, like I don't know diamonds. I don't. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. Know. No, this is this would be the biggest diamond ever discovered. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, they're they're like, ah, oh, well, we're screwed because Baragon eats him and he just immediately gets back out of the water. And they were hoping to just lure him into the water and attack him there because that's where he's weak. Uh, but he just immediately gets out and goes strolling. Yep, so that didn't work at all. Yep, that's another uh, that's another failed mission. We we get a lot of failed missions in all two of these. Two strikes, Karen. Two strikes. This uh, one was not Karen's fault. The last one wasn't Karen's fault. No, neither of them were Karen's fault. She's she's the only one doing anything. She's making a real effort, and like it's kind of unfair because they came and stole her village's shit, and now she has to come and fix it for the world. Typical colonists. Jeez. So Karen and Keisuke drive to the ruins of the missile base. And this is where Keisuke notices something interesting about the disintegrated Jeep. Not all of the Jeep is disintegrated. The mirrors are still there. Yeah. So they figure, well, Baragon can't do anything against a mirror. And... Baragon's rainbow attack specifically will be reflected by a mirror. So maybe if we can get Gam or Baragon to fire his rainbow at a big enough mirror, it can hurt him enough that we can defeat him. This is a, a clever plan. plan. Yeah, it's not decent. bad. Uh, I like the way they uh, really literalize how they're going to make this work by uh, melting a brass fi- melting some brass fittings with a blowtorch. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it's like why so why doesn't the blowtorch burn itself up? Because it's pointed away from itself. If we point if... it to itself. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to use the giant microwave antenna or dish on Mount Kajika and they're going to cover it with mirrors and figure one will will We'll be able to reflect this back at uh, Baragon, and we're going to do it at night because it'll be the easiest to see the rainbow then, and it'll also look the coolest. <laughs> That's true. It does. It did look cool. It does look cool. So what their their plan is just like hit Baragon with a tank barrage, uh, and then instigate him into uh, hitting them with the rainbow, which he does, and the dish does reflect it back, and it's pretty effective. It there's a huge purple wound with again copious blood. But it doesn't kill him. It doesn't kill him. So they're like, get him to fire it again. Get him to fire it again. And the doctor is like, no. no. Baragon will never shoot another rainbow. Oh, it's tragic. Uh, and they're like, nope. Operation Rearview Mirror, also a failure. Uh, but fortunately, because, oh, go ahead. Because when an animal does something and it ends up hurting them, they'll never do it again. You know, he's just explained Baragon learned a thing. Yeah, Baragon has learned his lesson. He's not going to fire his rainbow and get hurt by it again. 
but just the somber tone of the whole thing of just, there will never be another rainbow. (laughs) Interesting that our second movie stars Mr. Burns. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh. Yeah. But meanwhile, Gamera has finally thawed out. So it's time for a final showdown, of course. So we're in the last 15 minutes here. Yeah, he's mad. He is very angry right now. He's so mad, and he starts by pulling Baragon's tail. (laughs) Yes, That was really funny. (laughs) Baragon gets one really good battering tongue hit, uh, which makes Gamera retreat into his shell, but then Gamera is, like, I think he uses his UFO to just knock him into the lake. Something like that, yeah. And then they, you know, Gamera obviously has an advantage in the lake, uh, and it's just like a Jaws fight. Like, they're they're fighting with Jaws like animals. Mm-hmm. And Gamera's dragging him under the water. He, he locks his Jaws on Baragon's throat, and he pulls him under, and he drowns him in his own blood, which is horrifying. Like, it's a very intense fight. Yeah, and the blood, like, the blood, like, reacts with water, like, like Coke and Mentos. Yeah, it's like boiling up out of there. Uh, and finally, the rainbow just appears one last time, just shooting out of the water. And it's like his soul leaving his body. The rainbow is gone. The rainbow is gone. Uh, and Gamera leaves maybe a hero now. Yep. Hero or not, he leaves them alone. Yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting as... Because obviously from this point forward, he is friend to children everywhere, and he does kind of leave this. He's become a hero. They they made one for adults and somehow created Gamera as a children's hero anyways. There are no children in this film, I don't think. I don't think there's a single one. Uh, and, you know, at the, the ending, uh, like the, the post-Gamera conclusion is obviously Karen and Keisuke end up together, and that's that's the end. <laughs> You'll never be alone as long as you have me and Gamera. And Gamera. And like, yeah, we have credits rolling over over like the ocean, <laughs> like yeah. the waves slapping against the beach. It's a soft romance conclusion. <laughs> so obviously this one was a bit of a flop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> like the kaiju audiences for kids, this was made for adults and they realized after making it, it's like oh yeah no we, we shouldn't do that that's not who our audience is i can't i just can't imagine you made baragon and you think you've made an adult movie i know baragon is so adorable <laughs> like, like i would buy a baragon plushie <laughs> sure the tone shift between all the the jewel thief stuff and then all the monster stuff, like it really does feel like two different movies that aren't related. You're completely different. Uh, so in the U.S., this was released by AIP direct to TV. It was called War of the Monsters with about 12 minutes of human bullshit cut out. So there's, there's a decent amount less of it there. OK, OK. <laughs> Uh, initially when this was when they were starting making it it was going to be an alien invasion from mars movie so that that is how it was going to open with like the rocket going to mars and then aliens coming back with it but godzilla had kind of already done that so they're like "Eh, let's just have the rocket fall back down 
yeah, the the rocket doesn't even make it to Mars. We we don't need aliens. That's fine. <laughs> I it's just such a tonal whiplash between the first five minutes and then the next forty minutes and then the rest of the movie. The last forty, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so wild. But I love Baragon so much, and like how much I love Baragon has kind of gradually made me sort of come to appreciate this one. I used to dislike this one quite a bit. And uh, I, the human stuff does drag. Yeah, well, it really does, but it's it's so worth it's it. It's worth it. <laughs> like they it, when he first shows up, oh my! It's like, just an amazing moment. Ah. <laughs> like when just the the amazing effect and just how incredibly silly he looks. And it's it's like what we were saying with the first one that they just seem so jazzed. And from what I understand, they the actors weren't. It was hard work, and these these suits were probably a real pain to be in because you're on all fours all the time. Oh yeah, like most of their fight is just they're not fighting; they're just rolling around in these suits. Yeah, well, it's it's like a real lizard fight, which you know, a lot of spinning, a lot of rolling. Ah, uh, it's so cool though. I I. I love Gam- I, I love Baragon so much, and I kind of like it just as this one really weird one that it's like, ah, Gamera Noir, let's make one for adults for some reason. Like just, you know, I, I, I don't think this would have worked as well if it weren't. I, I think I think the Noir stuff actually helps the Baragon reveal. Oh, I because, totally agree. Cause it's, because cause when it he finally shows origin. up, you're just like, Oh my God, this, this was worth it. This was so worth it. Yeah, because like it's all his origin. Like it's them slowly putting in the groundwork for the creation of Baragon. And just what a payoff. What an incredible payoff. <laughs> what a ridiculous origin. These evil jewel thief, betrayal, murder. Look at this thing. <laughs> And then, like, I guess we got to wrap up the human plot, so we'll just do that in the background while these big monsters fight. That's fine. And it is fine. <laughs> it's fine. It works. <laughs> this it works. One, this one, I liked the last one, but I think this one's better. So much better. I agree. Better. I totally agree. And I think they, the, the subsequent ones get weirder and weirder. Like, they, they're only stranger from here on out. Because this is the the one where they're still... Eh, we're still making this for adults, so it still sort of has to make sense, right? It <laughs> <laughs> does. So, you, so you're saying that the future ones make less sense than this? I mean, we're going to start having cannibal alien ladies and, you know, giant knife-headed aliens. And, oh, <laughs> oh my excited. God, I love it. I love <laughs> it. Oh, boy. Right on. So any last thoughts on Gamera? Oh, I, I guess I, I should mention as well, next one in the series. So this is replaced with Gamera versus Gauss, uh, which is uh, sort of a pterodactyl-esque one, sort of Gamera's Rodan. Uh, okay. But, and, and Gauss is sort of the main Gamera villain. It's the one that comes back in the 90s series. And I think the Gauss are just in all of the Gamera movies from this point out. Okay, interesting. All right. Yeah. So any well, final thoughts on Gamera versus Baragon before we move on? Does Baragon come back ever? I think, he, I think he only has one more appearance, sadly, and I think it's just stock footage, which is a drag. Aww. There should have been more. 
Like, I would love a Baragon spinoff movie, honestly. It's so great. And just yeah. the mix of powers, the, the ice powers are so unusual. Uh, oh my god, I want... Okay. Gritty... Okay. Um, hmm. Idris Elba... Um, fuck it. Just The Wire with Baragon. <laughs> just just, like, let's hey, just make The Wire with Baragon. So, so he just hits the East Coast and he's just like tromping through Baltimore? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and Sabak is trying to cover it up. Sabak. I mean, he would be. Yeah, so like he comes in through one of those. He comes in in a shipping container, and they just lose him in the stacks. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, we didn't. Uh, it was Ziggy's mm. fault. It was definitely Ziggy's fault. I could see Ziggy being one of the three guys. <laughs> Ziggy would be the bad guy. He would be Onodera. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely um, be the Onodera of the group. Or. or... Or Avon Barksdale, uh, Stringer Bell, Proposition Joe, and Marlo Stanfield being the group. Oh, yeah. They, they'd all die. Oh, they would all die. <laughs> they would all die, and they wouldn't find the gem, and Baragon just wouldn't happen. Because they, they'd all just need to go after it. <laughs> like, and, and none of them would ever be able to uh, share. And then Omar gets share. it. Of course Omar gets it. He's the one who accidentally hatches it. <laughs> um, treating athlete's we won't get foot into or something. How. Probably treating athlete's foot with uh, just like a sun lamp. <laughs> or uh, just I don't know. puts it in a bag with cocaine and we have cocaine baragon. Oh man, drug baragon. So like instead of snow, he's like just pumping out cocaine and it gets everyone high and they overdose around him. Is that what we're thinking? It's the adult it's the adult kaiju film. The very adult kaiju film. <laughs> Baragon in Baltimore. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Let's get the rights to Baragon and we'll make this happen. Oh, man. I feel like we almost could, right? Daie? I, I don't know if Daie even still exists anymore. And they are not doing anything with Baragon. They should do something with Baragon. He's so great. What a property that they're just letting sit dormant. <laughs> want to see if we can do something now uh, it would be amazing someone should do more with baragon it's so cool and like uh, do i'll do... just make baragon fan fiction for now it'll be fine that's fair all right so uh we're gonna move on to part two okay so for our second part uh... oh, season five of gamma wire uh after public outrage has died down McNulty and the funding for the Gamera Special Task Force is uh, dried up. McNulty takes a wrecking ball and starts faking kaiju attacks. Okay, I could see that. And I, I would figure the Gamera hoaxer on the presidential cabinet from the or, original uh, Gamera. Yeah. Eh, I mean, Gamera is the one who acts like a wrecking ball. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we we could have both of them. I mean, I, yeah. I guess Gamera could only appear as like a cameo, but that's basically all he has in Gamera versus Baragon to begin with. <laughs> Baragon on the Jewel Thieves featuring Gamera. Featuring Gamera. Uh, Baragon and the Jewel Thieves, good name for a band. Anyway, 
before we get into our second movie, we want to talk briefly on another movie that the two of us watched in between because uh, we, we were hanging out with a bud on Sunday night and we watched Six String Samurai again. And mm-hmm. we also watched one of my favorite movies, Frozen Scream with the great Renee Harmon. Who you may remember from Cinderella 2000 as the stepmother who had to be hospitalized because she was too horny. She had the horn separate times. Yep. Very (laughs) horny. Very. Uh, So Frozen Scream is Renee Harmon's first feature. Sort of. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Well, so it's shot in 1975, which I think is before Cinderella 2000. But it ultimately comes out or they start looking for distribution circa 1980 post cinderella 2000 it finally comes out in 1983 in the uk right at the start of the video nasties debacle which we will shortly be speaking of uh and it ends up on the video nasties list and gets banned uh and then a year later it finally gets a u.s release on a double bill with executioner part two so it sort of bookends (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a, a bunch of other Renee Harmon performances. And it's kind of the definitive one, I feel like she wrote this one. I think it's based on her book, Evil Covenant, which I haven't read. I have a copy of it. I've been meaning to get to it. And this movie is about ice zombies or people who are frozen, who are zombies. Yeah, um, I didn't really get what this movie was about the only thing i was paying attention to was the narration that was not talking about what this movie was about right so this movie was made in 1975 and somewhere in between 1975 and 1980 they figured it didn't make enough sense so they added a voiceover track their track doesn't help the solution to them not making sense and adding a voiceover, it, it was not a solution. It made it make less sense because they did the most confounding thing I've ever seen in a movie. And I mean this. <laughs> you're going to say it and listener, you're not going to believe this, but so like, and I think you'll explain it better than me because I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So like the first few scenes, we have Renee Harmon and we have this girl who is like, first we see a couple people get murdered in a pool and we see some zombies and we see someone getting this thing inserted in their neck, which is like a drain. It looks kind of like a, a, a pipe stem or something. Yeah. And then the girl is in the hospital being treated by Renee Harmon and they're having a conversation, and it's just going on. It's going on and on and on. And then the volume slightly lowers on the conversation, but only slightly. You only get it, it keeps slowly. happening. Yeah. And a voiceover starts of a guy who we haven't met, a character who doesn't exist in the movie yet. And he's like, well, you know me. <laughs> he just like starts talking about himself. He starts talking about his relationship with people who we're seeing. We don't even know who he is yet. And I'm just imagining, well, he, every time he talks, there is the season turn, turn, turn. <laughs> and then, like, this just keeps happening all throughout the movie. There will be 
in the middle of a dialogue scene where other characters are there and he is not there. He has nothing to do with the scene. And they'll just like, it'll be him commenting on something totally unrelated to the scene too. Like they're talking about these zombies and he literally says, I don't know why she couldn't say I love you back to me. Yeah. And it's like, what? When? What are you even talking about? It's like something that happened five minutes ago or ten minutes ago or hasn't happened yet. (laughs) And, like, it's so brain-melting watching this. Like, and especially if you, uh, the first time I watched this, I had taken some edibles and it it was so brain-melting. Like, it was just an otherworldly experience. I was sober and couldn't follow anything and I had no idea what was going on. And the only thing I remember about it was the voiceover. Right. The the fact that the voiceover happened. I don't remember anything specifically that was said other than I don't know why she didn't say she loved me. (laughs) Well, like the dialogue is ultimately not super important, which is why they can just overlap it a few times. (laughs) Because like. So the basic plot is there's this evil mad scientist, and I guess she's not, is she his wife? I don't know if she's his wife. That's uh, not really Renee clear. Harmon, she's like his partner in crime, and they're, I think they're professors because it's their students that they're turning into ice zombies. And it, it's like this thing where he's re- or arrested the aging process with cold but oh, they have right. to he's accept. always talking about immortality immortality, immortality. Uh, and they're they have to be kept at a low temperature or they start to go haywire and they melt or whatever and so most of them are just kept in like a walk-in freezer in their basement but they get out and like kill people occasionally like they're they're a cult and they're all they wear all these black hoods and occasionally they go out and kill people who are then also turned into zombies sometimes. I just had this hilarious thought. <laughs> In a, who would win between these zombies and Burke and Hare? Burke <laughs> and Hare would just keep killing them and selling them back to the doctor <laughs> again and again. Well, and these zombies are slower than most zombies. <laughs> Which is saying something. Because it's like everyone in this movie acts like they are a frozen zombie, whether or not they are. So, like, every character acts like they're weird and frozen and otherworldly and undead, which makes for a very weird mood for the whole thing. Mm. (laughs) Yes, I'll agree that the mood is weird, with or without the narrative. Yeah, the mood is completely bizarre, and... That That's sort of like my main thing about it is just the atmosphere of this movie is unlike anything else. It just feels so weird and alien the whole time you're watching it. Nobody speaks like a normal person. None of the dialogue sounds like anything a real person would ever say. The sequence of events is completely baffling. It's just there, there's it's it's a surrealist masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. I truly love it. Uh, I'll. I'll I'll definitely have to give it another chance sometime. Yeah, we'll we'll totally do like an actual episode on it at some point. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, this film was on the Video Nasties list, the second list. So there's three Video Nasties lists, and we're getting into movie two here because our second movie is Video Nasties Draconian Days. 
which is a documentary made, uh, I think it's made by Severin, uh, Severin who uh, released the uh, the Al Adamson box set, for instance. Oh, okay. And it's uh, their it's it's like a, a movie about the latter days of the video nasties. So this is a sequel to a first video nasty set they did, which sort of uh, goes into how all of this started, how uh, the the ratings boards got set up, how they started censoring and outlawing videos and how they created these two lists of one list that's prosecutable stuff. So it's if this stuff is there, they'll find them, they'll take them to court, they'll maybe consider putting them in jail for those ones. The stuff on the second list, which includes Frozen Scream, is stuff like, we probably can't prosecute this, but we will confiscate and we will fine people. Uh, but these, the second list are the ones that are like, we probably couldn't get a jury to convict on something like Frozen Scream because they wouldn't be able to understand it. <laughs> You'd be like, what the hell is this even? How could anyone uh, need to go to jail for watching this? I can't even I don't understand think that Frozen Scream place. influenced a single murder. I don't think Flo- Frozen Scream influenced anything. Well, there's nothing in Frozen Scream that, like, there's, I, I think it's specifically because of one shot, there's someone who gets hit in the head with a hatchet. And, you know, it could. It, could be as as we're gonna find out it really could be something that small and petty yeah because the the person getting hit in the head with a hatchet couldn't get pulled out without it like the, that scene you you'd have to edit the entire scene out and then i guess they're feeling like that would make the movie make less sense i don't know <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, they're it, like, no, just it, it can't exist. We, you can't have that movie in Britain. Yeah. So what this is is, yeah, lists of home home videos, not movies in general, but like video cassettes VHS. that you can't distribute, and eventually that you can't even own in uh, in Britain. Yeah, you're not allowed because to they're they're bad for they're they're bad they're they're not good. Um. They're nasty. Decency. Decency. Morals. So we're introduced to David Furman, uh, Mr. Burns. He's very Mr. Burnsy. I thought it was James Furman. Oh, maybe it is James Furman. You're probably right. I watched yeah. this like a whole week ago. <laughs> he, he looks he looks like a Mr. Burns. He does look a lot like Mr. Burns. He has the same head. Yeah, and he it turns out he's a... Uh, just as weirdly power hungry. Yeah. So just in a different, a bit of a different direction, but just a, yeah, he, he's. We'll get into the weird stuff this guy did. Yeah. So like we're sort of introduced to him at the beginning about these traveling road shows that he would do, where he'd show all of the most evil and sick stuff that he cut out of movies. And we, we have a couple commentators like who went to these things and who were very anti-censorship and were kind of convinced by them because it was just so much horrible footage just kind of all crammed together. And obviously that sort of thing will make it seem worse. Yeah, um, th- there was a lot of think of the children. A lot of think of the children, just a bunch of Helen Lovejoys. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, his whole thing was like, see, look at what it would have been like if it weren't for me protecting the children from this filth. Yeah, like he would uh, all of the stuff that no one is allowed to see and that he's like, oh, no, the the proles couldn't handle this. The poors couldn't. What if the poors saw this? Which is literally a thing that he said. It's like, well, yeah. I can't imagine like a working man from a factory looking at this. Yeah. Someone from the nobility, perhaps. And what it turns out, their their really big thing is the control that people are able to control videos and watch them in their homes and they could rewind and replay parts that they want to see more of. And oh, they're just monocles flying off, man. Like, <laughs> Well, the poor is controlling their own entertainment. My goodness. Well, I never. Well, I never. Well, I never. I never. Just and and like horror is obviously the most heavily hit by this because horror sort of trades in this sort of stuff because it's horror. It's supposed to be horrifying. It's not supposed to be like a G-rated kids movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Sorry, I thought I had something. Okay. Well, so like one of the th- one of the first things they talk about is Rambo. Rambo was a, a big boogeyman for them. Like they couldn't ban the Rambo movies, but they could heavily censor them. Oh yes, yes. They uh, because somebody did a mass shooting and he wore a bandana, so he definitely got the idea from Rambo. Yeah, I mean, who else wears bandanas? <laughs> Nobody, that's who. And it's not like they're editing guns out of movies because of this. What they do instead, they they edit knives out of Rambo. So like the the guy went into the Rambo movie and he just cut out anything with knives in it, not stuff with guns. Yeah, that's that that's this Mr. Burns guy, this right guy. Because he he felt he was kind of a film editor, so he would just edit stuff himself. Like, he would take stuff out of the movies and, and edit those scenes down to nothing. And especially horror movies would just be edited into oblivion. Uh-huh. Um, and he he had, like, a background as, like, a daytime TV director. Person, yeah. They, they showed a couple scenes from his shows, and they looked kind of bad. They looked pretty bad. Although, I don't know if that's just how British shows were back then, though. It could be. I have not seen a lot of, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess out of a few major titles, I probably haven't seen much British television from before circa 90s. Mm. So, like, the the movie's called Draconian Days. That's the subtitle for Video Nasties, and it's because of the draconian measures uh, which Furman enacted for this. Like, you could go to jail for watching or owning an offensive movie. And who decides what's offensive? Obviously, Furman. Furman does. Just him. Yeah, just him and nobody else. Like, he has a he staff has of censors. They, but no, he... No, they have to listen to him. Yeah, it's a staff. Like... They're supposed to cut out the things that he wants them to cut out. Like, there are all of these guidance on things that just like, no, these things are not allowed in movies. Britain's not allowed to see this. And and it's some really weirdly specific things. He hates chainsaws. 
chainsaws are big. Uh, chainsaws is like the main one because Texas Chainsaw Massacre was just like that. That was a huge boogeyman for them. They they were horrified by just the existence of a movie with the title Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, and so horrified that they t- changed Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers to Hollywood Hookers. <laughs> even better than that they with where chainsaw is in the title on the cover they painted over the word chainsaw with a graphic a of chainsaw a chainsaw graphic amazing that's so stupid <laughs> it's incredibly dumb they censored out the word chainsaw but yeah. left the gigantic chainsaw on the sleeve yeah, Hollywood chainsaw emoji hookers. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> and, like, power tools in general seem to be a big issue. Uh, anytime someone uses a power tool in a movie f- as a weapon, it's on the video nasties list. One of the three. Because workers own power tools. We don't want the workers thinking they could use power tools to overthrow us. Well, yeah, the poor people have lots of tools. Th- these are things that they could have access to. That's very frightening. We would be <laughs> able to do nothing against them because we do not know how to use tools. That's for the poor. <laughs> yeah, we, we've evolved past that. My chair takes me everywhere. <laughs> and things like ninja stars, nunchucks. Oh, he hates ninja stars. Oh, man, you can't have those. Because uh, you can throw those and they're spiky. They're very frightening. And nunchucks. <laughs> I mean, no, like, that's... you're going to hurt yourself with nunchucks and ninja stars before you're going to hurt anybody else. We all did. Yeah, exactly. In fact, there's even a section where, like, the guy says, like, we all did, and then we never touched them again. Yeah, because we all hurt ourselves with them first. And, like, the, their basic thing is it's imitatable behavior, which is the, the same sort of shit that happens in the u.s in the 90s but never to the same extent just that oh imitatable behavior so you know you can't show anything that people could potentially do and i think the difference is that in america it was only with children's entertainment right here here they have a rating system for the videos but still even if it was 18 plus he could still just say he could still edit things out or he could still just say no no, this movie isn't getting made. And eventually he even got to the point where he started telling studios, like, don't even submit this shit to us. Yeah, it's just this will not pass. And it's a this... voluntary ratings board. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's a voluntary ratings board, but you can be prosecuted for having videos that don't have the written. <sighs> yeah, because I... what because he would tell them that, no, you, you can't even submit it. So... It would get released, and then if people had it, they'd just get arrested. It's nuts! You can't have it. It hasn't been rated. Well, he didn't rate it. <laughs> well, then you definitely can't have it. And it's like movies, not just not just like exploitation movies, not just any old movie. These aren't just like big horror movies. It's stuff like The Exorcist and The, the Exorcist. Thing. He had a grudge against The Exorcist. Major grudge against The Exorcist. More than anything else. Yeah, like, people were saying, even, like, years down the road, they're like, hey, you know, by today's standards, The Exorcist is pretty tame. Can we release it? No. No, no. religion. He religion will thing, be destroyed by it. <laughs> he kept that thing in an iron grip until the end of his time. Yeah, 99. And 1999, it came out. <laughs> like, 
but yeah, like, like, couldn't see The Exorcist on video until 1999. But they could see it in theaters, which is one of the really crazy things about this whole ordeal is that they were yeah, allowed. The theaters to weren't affected by this. Yeah, these unless, movies were not illegal because they're movies. They're fiction. Until people started taking movies from the list and putting them in their theaters for film festivals, of then course. it became an issue. And I love that this censorship is so ridiculous. They're like, well, we can just have a film festival because these movies are not illegal to show. They're just you just can't have videotapes because of the ability to play things over and over again, which is such a crazy like problem they had it's like oh man just that they could watch it again that they could watch one part again like that's so weird i mean people do and and this is something they touched on as well that like yeah people might watch a really gory scene over and over again but what that does is it makes it look less less realistic because you see how it's done yeah like like after a while if i'm sure if i watched it enough um baragon wouldn't even look like a real Baragon. Yeah, you you you'd think he looks kind of absurd or silly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's stuff like like and and that's the damnedest thing about this is I've seen a good like half of the movies on all the video nasties lists at least, and most of them are like that. Like you watch these effects and they're so absurd. They look so silly. And uh-huh. a lot of them you don't need to rewatch them to see how silly they look. They look silly the first time. <laughs> Uh, so there's there's another thing. There's the movie about making out with Jesus and the blasphemy laws oh, thing. Oh yeah, up. the blasphemy laws. So so those get on the list. Yeah, like except uh, but not the Passion of the Christ because that's well that's the later. Important one. Passion of the Christ is post Furman. That's like 2004. Oh okay. Oh no, I'm I'm sorry. I'm thinking the Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, Last Temptation. Yeah, that's that's 80s. Uh, and that one was okay, but I think they still had to censor it, or or maybe it was no, it was okay because it was aimed at a, it, at an elite audience. It's aimed at it's aimed at intellectuals. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. There's a whole class issue that it is like, absolutely a class issue. Completely a class issue, and he's really not. He's not subtle about, about it either. No. He's like, no, I don't think lower class people should be exposed to this stuff. It could give them ideas. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's fine if, you know, educated, wealthy people see it because you know they're more able to deal with fantasy or whatever. Like, what an asshole. Oh, my God. Oh, he sucks. It's unbelievable. Uh, and and, and like, they have a lot of interviews or like footage of interviews that people have done with this guy over the years. and. Yeah, he so yeah he says this stuff. Yeah, he does say these things. Like we're not putting words in his mouth. Yeah, and like yeah. even and and there's interviews with just all sorts of people throughout the period because they have lots of vintage like TV spots and like wealthy conservative white people are even like, yeah, this Furman's taken a little too far. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some are, <laughs> but I mean, some are not. There, there's obviously people supporting it and, and certain newspapers supporting it. You know, obviously the very famous, I think it's the sun headline, ban this sick filth. Oh yeah. And, and like listening to the, uh, the news rep- 
reporter or like the anchor people or whatever talking about some of them. These people are able to see these films whenever they want in their homes. My God, in their what homes. If, what if you bought it with the intent of only seeing it yourself, but then a child was in the house and they saw it? That blood would be on your hands. Well, just, just lock up the movies. That no, that is unreasonable. We should ban the movie from existence. Yeah, adults can't see it because children could potentially see if it's available for adults to see, and that's the real argument that he had. Unbelievable! Yeah. Like what? And so we got to burn them. We got to burn the videos. Oh, they're Literal getting away burning. with it. Yeah, they they they're them. getting away with it. That's what yeah, the guys watching these films and getting away, away with it. They're producing these films. Yeah, and at this point, when they're, like, confiscating and raiding people's houses and shops and just burning videos, people are starting to be like, it kind of seems like, uh, you know, them Nazis, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, a bit of a Nazi. And he individually, like, he he made a VHS black market exist in Britain. Like, it it was created because of this. I love the bit where, like, they're talking about the guys at video stores who have a copy, like, an uncensored copy of something. Right. And then they'll just tape over all the censored copies with it. That's so cool. Uh, this is also around when there's the huge furor over Child's Play 3. Yeah, that's um I've seen Child's Play 3 a few times and it is a tame movie. <laughs> but so there was a quote unquote copycat murder. There someone had seen Child's Play 3 and had committed a murder and there were very vague similarities between a murder in Child's Play 3 and this murder. So they decided Child's Play 3 was the most evil movie ever made. <laughs> And it's so yeah. tame. Like, there's nothing to censor in it. There just isn't. Like, it's it's such a like it's a ninety. Like, I think it's circa nineties. By this point, the the MPAA was already doing their own censorship before movies even came out, especially slasher movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, that stuff wasn't even in there to begin with. What are you even cutting out? And the and they weren't cutting it out. They just they banned this movie, even though there's just nothing in it. Well, we couldn't find anything that we could take out easily, so let's just throw the whole thing in the bin. Well, I think that's exactly it. They're like, we have to throw it out because there's the newspapers want it. You know, the sun's screaming for blood because uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's just absolutely baffling. And then at this point, there's video raids, which they treat like drug raids. Oh, yeah. Police seized. 800 illicit videotapes from the banned list. These video nasties had a street value of whatever. Right. And you got your cops like with their video freaking tapes on the table. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like the, the drugs on the tape and photo ops. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Like what a weird time. And just that this went all the way until 1999. Like, this was happening 22 years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. I cannot believe it. Uh, I And so this one is mainly about a third list. Uh, the, the first movie covers mainly lists one and two. 
This one is about List 3, which the public didn't even know existed. Oh, yeah. So, like, this is a list of about 84 movies, I think. Maybe more than that. It's around 80, 90 movies that the police could just take. <laughs> could just take and destroy them and arrest you and take your money if you had them. Yeah, like we even see um, somebody filmed a police raid happening on this one guy's video collection. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're going to take that too? Yes, yes, we're going to take that. We're quite terribly sorry. Yeah. Like, and, and this guy, I think, is one of the commentators as well. Like they have him currently uh, yeah. talking back about it. And it's like, oh, it's just fucking absurd. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now the the uh, the structure of the documentary is such that it, it's kind of hard to peg the order that things are happening in because yeah. documentaries typically have a, a narration like and then Feynman decided that it was time to enact the next course of his plan. But no, it's just here's a clip from an interview. Here's something. Here's some footage. Here's a guy. Here's somebody's comments on it. There's there's no like central thing to pulling it together. It just goes. Yeah, because like it just went on for such a long time. So it's covering like 20 years of censorship and it's just. They they cover everything. They're talking about each of the movies. They're talking about all of the different mini moral outrages throughout it. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously the conclusion when he legalizes porn. Yeah. So he kind of goes full Mr. Burns at the end, and that he's just fucking nuts. Yeah. Like like uh, Mr. Burns block out the sun nuts. Yeah, so, like, he gets the idea that the uh, proles need something. They, they, he needs to give them a little something so they can, so, so they're, they're not going to be too worked up. But he can't give them horror movies. Horror yeah, movies are and, too evil. And sexual violence is bad, but sex without violence? Well, you can do it if you go to these very specific shops where you can purchase these, uh, Pornogra these uh, pornographic films that have their own special rating. Right. See, you know, like these other movies with special ratings, like yeah. this ratings board that you have. Yeah. So he, he just legalized porn and everybody was just like, wait a second. What? Yeah. I was like, Ex excuse me. You, you did what? <laughs> like he just unilaterally legalized it and there was no real going back. Yeah. No. And, and that was it. That was his career. It was over instantly. Like two weeks, instantly. he was gone. And the video and nasties the exorcist came out. Yeah, and then the exorcist was out right away. It's like, well, we all want to see. There goes it. your legacy. We were just waiting for you to leave. <laughs> we we thought we'd have to wait for you to die, but you've made it much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like they're talking about how at one point he just fired everybody and brought in all his own people. Yeah, but they still had to, but he still micromanaged them. Of course, because like it was just it was an obsession that he had, a crazy obsession that he had with all of it. Yeah, and it just it never made sense. No, there, it's just completely absurd, all of it. And like, obviously, in Britain, all of this stuff is available now. They're like it, it very quickly crumbled. They. Like Severin, I think, 
uh, are a semi-British company. Like they are based in the US, but I think all of their stuff is region free and most of it comes out in the UK as well. And and they're very devoted to video nasties. Like that's why they've done two documentaries on it. They've released a lot of these films. And yeah, it's just, it's baffling. Like just that it was so recently that, and it went on for such a long time. And it had so much support. Big time support. Like so many newspapers were behind it. Yeah. Like the, the people who were speaking out against it and there were a lot of them, they couldn't get any traction. Right. And like you, you see a bit more of how there were like points of them getting a little bit of traction here and there throughout in the first part, because the first part kind of deals with the main lists and sort of the bigger prosecutions rather than the sort of individual raids on persons. So the the first one gets into a little bit more of that sort of stuff, but most of it's just like just nickel and diamond people and just being an asshole. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. like, like this one guy did a really neat, like edited a few videos to do a really neat grift and suddenly he controls all entertainment in England for like 20 years. Yeah. And <sighs> even though there's tons of people who think it's absurd and are like, you can't really tell adults what to do in terms of their entertainment just because kids could potentially see things that's insane and just it's especially insane considering his solution of ultimately saying oh well i guess porn's okay you can release porn tapes and just they they just have to be rated differently it's like what are you doing (laughs) that was a bridge too far ah it's just wild uh yeah it just the the way that it just suddenly stopped is what almost is what's that about as bonkers as the fact that it happened to begin with the fact that it stopped immediately. Well, that it stopped so immediately and just the way it stopped, just the cognitive dissonance of him deciding to legalize porn because horror movies are too scary. <laughs> like M like M night Shyamalan could have written that twist. Yeah. And I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I say Emily Chavalon could have wrote it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, uh, did you happen to watch any of the trailers, or did you not really have time? Uh, no, I didn't really have time. But it's it's something I'll. It's definitely on my on my list of things to do. Yeah, sometime over the week, perhaps like check out a few uh, stuff that looks interesting that we may cover in the next month because. Uh, Oh. Uh, spoilers, we are entering the spooky stack, starting with the, our choices this week. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the stuff on there is horror, and I have a lot of it. So, uh, yeah, check a few of those out, see if there's some you're interested in. Uh, a lot of great commentators. I especially like Stephen Thrower and Kim Newman are both a lot of fun. Uh, Stephen Thrower wrote the book Nightmare Cinema, which is fantastic resource for uh, regional horror filmmaking. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so any last thoughts on Video Nasty's Draconian Days? Um, yeah, I probably should start with the first one. I guess so. I, I feel like there's... I mean, this one, it stands alone. It does but stand I feel alone. Like I, I, I feel like the first one would have given me a bit more context as to how it got started, like how this guy became Mr. Burns. My recollection is there, it it really is just a thing. Like he sort of had the job. He was a censor and 
for some reason he just had so much power and and i i don't even recall him being much of a factor in the first one but it's all him in the second one. Oh yeah like everybody has their own opinion of him uh guys who worked with people who worked with him folks who uh were affected by him folks who i guess tried to block his things from happening yeah like we have some uh free speech lawyers and like we we have a couple of the censors who are like yeah he was too extreme but we could not get him to back down but we also uh, like they also did get a couple people who agreed with him too oh yeah absolutely and like mps who agreed with him that one guy with the really sweaty upper lip Ugh. Yeah, you see a lot of him in in volume one, and it almost made two better to just have less of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> really? OK. But yeah, uh, one of the other things just uh, as sort of alluded to, this has this is a three disc set and the other two discs are the trailers for every single movie on the on these third video nasties list with discussion of all of the movies by various uh, commentators and critics and stuff. And that stuff is so great. Uh, so if you're into this stuff, uh, this set is amazing and it really adds a lot of depth to the documentary because it just feels like more of the documentary. Uh, cause it's the same interview series as the interviews in the movie and a lot of the same talking heads. Oh, okay. So it just feels like, two gigantic 13 hour movies of the history of the video nasties very comprehensive uh, and totally recommend for anyone who's interested in the topic right on all right uh so shall we head on into our final section let's do her i okay so now we enter our final section where we talk about items that have been watched and are thus removed from the stacks and temporarily removed from play although the first bunch of them will be ones that are opening for our second feature for next week uh it's occurred to me that we we've been doing this thing we've never we never really uh mention how this actually works before we talk about it oh uh, right <laughs> so i thought a, it, a few of the point. early episodes we did because i didn't get it Right. Well, we were kind of <laughs> developing as we were going. Uh, but yeah, yeah so th- this last part is where we talk about things that have been watched and thus removed, uh, as well as things that are newly added. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a different week because our final choices will be from the spooky stacks. Spooky. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Because we are entering October, today's uh, September 28th as we're recording, and by the time this goes up, it will be October. In the month of October, I exclusively watch horror or horror-themed pictures. Uh, So that's what all of our picks will be. And uh, with the spooky stacks, our normal rules and laws do not apply. Uh, The dead rise. Uh, No stacks are inactive. All stacks are once again active, but only for horror movies. So, uh, well, here we'll we'll finish off our last few. Uh, We'll do the watches from last week, uh, which will have a couple non-horror movies, which will be the last we'll see of that for a little bit. So first one that I watched is Guiana, Cult of the Damned. Which I almost picked for our main feature for this week. That would have been interesting. There's certainly stuff to talk about with this one. Uh, Amazing 
tagline on this disc or on the on the cover art here they followed him as the germans followed hitler because hmm. jim, uh, jim jones had kind of a hitler fixation yeah uh so this movie kind of fixates on his hitler fixation it, it comes up quite a few times and they compare him to hitler quite a bit interesting because he may have been influenced by hitler but he did a he did things a bit different. He wasn't really... He had very different aims. He wasn't really a Hitler. He was not racist. Like, he genuinely was not a racist person. He, like, he was a cult leader, and he definitely uh, wanted to kill people. <laughs> definitely killed a lot of people. Killed about 900 people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... This is this was made very soon after the original massacre. Uh, this was released less than a year later, 10 months after the massacre took place. Uh, made on the cheap in Mexico. And that's how you know that it got all the details right. <laughs> it's not too bad, honestly, in terms of the, the Guyana stuff is relatively true like relatively true to the case as as far as i know it like i've, I've you know we're, we're both true crime folks and we yeah we we've listened to podcasts and read stuff about this uh but one thing is they've changed the names so he's james johnson and it's johnson town which i don't know why it's jonestown i mean everybody knows jonestown and he's like he looks exactly like him to protect name change to protect the they changed all the names they they did change all of the names but it's like most of these people in this movie are dead like the only person that they're talking i I think they didn't change leo ryan's name who's the uh the the, the senator who was assassinated when he was going to check up on this uh colony yeah so like most of the movie is about that visit like the the movie is very closely focused on just the end of the cult so you have like a handful of scenes setting up that point in time and then you have the leo ryan visit and him there with the camera crew and all of the interviews they do with people it's sort of quasi documentary style oh interesting okay uh but not fully because I mean, the the version that I have is the 90-minute American cut, which I think cuts like 20 or 30 minutes out. Uh, and, and I don't know what's in the original full-length cut because I've never never seen it. It's not available. Uh, no. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird picture. It's quite bad. Honestly, it's, it's, poor, it's poorly made. But Stuart Whitman is very good as James Johnson. <laughs> so like their their Jim Jim Jones is pretty good. Like the I I feel like it's a pretty solid portrayal. It's a fairly interesting and nuanced portrayal in some some ways. Uh but it is very grungy. It's obviously an exploitation film. It's clearly made to cash in on the thing. Um but yeah, I mean it's it's fascinating anyways. <laughs> Badly edited. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dang! I was I was kind of looking forward to it. 
but yeah, it sounds I, like uh not not great is, it's like it's probably one that you'd be interested to see at some point just because it's such a fascinating story well and, yeah i mean it's yeah it's something i'd probably end up getting around to sooner or later anyway yeah, and I feel like it's weird that there, there are not other movies about this. I, I think there's been one other, but it's not something that they've done a bunch of movies of. I mean, I guess it is a. Oh hell, it's a it's a. It's horrifying. It's, it's horrifying tragedy, but that didn't stop them from making movies about several other horrifying tragedies. Yeah, I mean, there's many... a Nicolas Cage movie about 9/11. What? Yeah, Oliver Stone directed it. I think it's the only Oliver Stone movie I haven't seen, come to think of it. It doesn't melt the steel beams! It's, it doesn't melt the steel beams! No, he's he's a firefighter in the oh. towers on 9-11. That's, that's the movie. It's uh, it's called World Trade Center. I, I should see it someday because I've seen basically every other... I'm pretty sure I've seen every other Oliver Stone film, come to think of it, but just not that one because... Uh, I don't know, <laughs> which maybe is, yeah. is why there is not other Guyana movies, honestly. But yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. And, and I feel like it's sort of by default, the definitive one, because I think the only other one has been a TV movie and, you know, cheap TV. Yeah. Uh, anyway, another thing I watched is Strike Commando 2. I watched Strike Commando 1 last week. This is the Reb Brown picture. Screamy guy. Big McLaren oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, so right, it, yeah. Strike Commando One was in the you we talked yeah, it was you last talked week. briefly about that last week. Yeah. Uh so I watched two as well, uh this week. And it, they they couldn't even get Reb Brown back. Reb Brown is <laughs> not coming back for this one. So they have a guy named Brent Huff, uh, who I'm not really familiar with, but what's bizarre is they also have Richard Harris. Do you know who Richard Harris oh, is? I I know the name. He played Dumbledore in the first Her- first two Harry Potter movies. What the fuck? Yeah, so it's him as the commanding officer in in this like the evil commanding officer as I recall. Uh and you know, it's it's another Rambo knockoff just like the first one. It's except it's also stealing a whole bunch more from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Romancing the Stone. Uh, again, it's written by Claudio Fragasso and Rosella Drudy of Troll 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's dumb as hell, but it's really fun. There's okay. ninjas, there's the KGB, there's a bunch of evil CIA guys. It's great. <laughs> it's <laughs> dumb crap, but I loved it. The best thing I watched last week is Starman. It's uh, John Carpenter's only non-horror movie, or only movie that I feel has almost no horror elements to it, except... Oh, it doesn't? I just assumed it would. It sort of has, like, so we were hanging with our friend Tony on Sunday night, and he mentioned that he saw it as a kid, and it really scarred him, (laughs) because there are a couple transformation effects early on that are really horrifying and really scary. But then... The rest of the movie is just a road movie with Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen, who are both incredible in it, uh, traveling around the Midwest or I I don't know, traveling across the U.S. Uh, They're trying to get to Arizona for him to be picked up by, you know, the the other aliens. Yeah. And so Jeff Bridges is her dead husband 
and the alien has taken on his form to seem more comfortable to her. Oh, dear. But what happens is it appears in her house and she sees like it it appears just like a ball of light and it looks at some pictures. It looks at like uh, some eight millimeter video she has of him and it sort of templates him. But then it creates it starts as a baby and we watch it grow to a man just like this one body horror sequence while she's watching in horror. Oh, my God. And finally, you know, it grows all the way up and then it's her husband and she just kind of goes into a state of catatonic fright. And that's a lot of the first part of the movie is just them driving and her just totally unable to deal with it and completely shut down. Uh, It's fascinating and it's optimistic. It's the only optimistic Carpenter film. Because it's very sweet. He's lovable. He's just an alien who's here to observe and and he has no ill will and he's just fascinated by how crazy people are. All right. Uh, It's great. I I really loved it. And and it's uh, the only other Carpenter movie that doesn't have a Carpenter score. It's got a Jack Nietzsche score. Kind of classic 60s guy. Oh, okay. I also watched... Right so it's after, a bit different from your usual John Carpenter movie. Quite a bit different. A uh, very different flavor. Although similar in terms of just uh, the craftsmanship. It's just so mm. well made. Uh, just persistently very, very well made all the way through. Uh, so I did a double like, bill. Like, like everything. Yeah. I mean, everything he does. Like he, he just was so consistent for such a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, so I did that as a double bill with The Last Starfighter, because I thought that kind of would be a, a logical fit. They're both 1984 films, and uh, the guy who made The Last Starfighter is like a John Carpenter protege. Uh, he learned oh. filmmaking from working on John Carpenter sets. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so the guy who directed Last Starfighter, Nick Castle, was Michael Myers. He played The Shape. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I've seen The Last Starfighter so many times, I didn't know any of that. There's a lot of other connections to Carpenter as well, because um, the main character, The Last Starfighter himself, he appears in Halloween 2. He's one of the dead mates in Halloween 2. Oh. Uh, Dan O'Herlihy, the main villain from Halloween 3, uh, as you know, the who who creates the, you know, for the kids. Oh, for the yes. Uh, he's the main, that. he's the main alien in Last Starfighter. He's the buddy alien, hmm. like the lizard guy who he he hangs with. I can't remember the name of the character. Oh offhand. shoot! Yeah, yeah. Uh, Grig. I did not know that was the same guy. It never connected with me until just this watch. Like, wait, that's Dan O'Herlihy. He's almost doing the same big over-the-top performance as he does in Halloween Three. He's so good in that. Oh, he's so much fun. He's great in this, too. Him and Robert Preston are absolutely my favorite parts of this. They both just play it really big and are having a really good time. Um, I, always, I always liked The Last Starfighter. Yeah, I totally like it. Uh, and it's it's a really fun ride. Like, just very classic 80s sci-fi. It's very corny. Like, it's very blockbustery. It's It's a different tone altogether from Carpenter, for sure. Even from Starman. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Because it's... It's much lighter. It's much sillier. 
the effects looked rougher than I remembered, especially watching them right after Starman. Even though these movies both came out the same year, it's obvious how much of a different league Starman is than Starfighter. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a classic, you know, kid plays a, plays an arcade cabinet that makes him able to fight aliens. That's a real can't miss proposition, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, and last thing I watched, you know, very, very short list this week, Siege, uh, which is a Canadian picture, Canadian exploitation film made in Halifax. Uh, very intense. Halifax exploitation. Halifax exploitation. I mean, I guess it could be. Uh, so this is about a police strike that actually happened in Halifax, or or it's set during a police strike. Uh, and it's about this group of guys. They go into a Halifax gay bar and they just start a just kind of start a fight. They're they're wanting to rough people up and intimidate. Uh, but the bartender accidentally gets killed, so they call their boss. And he comes and just executes everyone in the place. Like he, he executes oh, all of the patrons except one who manages to get away and escape into a nearby apartment building. Is, so is, is this based on a true story? Uh, just the police strike part of it. Fortunately, okay. yeah. I was going to be like, I didn't hear about this. Yeah. So there was an actual police strike like this, but uh, fortunately there were no massacres during it. Uh, oh, that's good. But so they, they get in, he, the, the one guy who gets away, he gets into this house nearby where there's a married couple and their weird survivalist roommate. They have this, this really fascinating building that's sort of a duplex that you can get through in a couple places or through the roof. Uh, and they sort of do a home alone battle against this siege. Uh, they they have all sorts of different little things that they can use to fight back against them. But yeah, it's it's very good. It's quite political. Uh, kind of very, not really a spoiler because you, it's it's another one of these things that you should pick up while watching the movie or kind of get going in if if you know what you're thinking of. That they are all they are all themselves police officers who are on strike. That's who all of the bad guys are. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, very, very good, but quite intense. Like it's it's very intense. Sorry, very, very good. What? Uh, very good, but also very intense. Like mm. it's it's upsetting. It's it's very uh uh strong. Okay, interesting. Uh, but that's it. Just those five this week. Uh, pretty light week, cause. You know, also, I watched Baragon three times, and we watched a couple movies on Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so of those five, what do you figure for our second feature next week? Well, you've been selling me on Starman since you watched it, so let's just do so that. So good. Yeah, Starman is just awesome. Uh, and it, it's one that really took me by surprise as one that I've never seen before from Carpenter and is probably his least talked about. But it's great. Yeah, actually, I don't I don't hear a lot of discourse about that one. Yeah. All right. So only four new reveals uh, and three of them are eligible this week, uh, but one of them will not be eligible until November because <laughs> it's not horror. Uh, so the new additions are the Tomb of Ligeia, 
which is uh, one of Roger Corman's uh, Edgar Allan Poe pictures from the 60s. It's uh, one starring Vincent Price, and it's about uh, his his dead wife comes back as a cat to, I don't know, wreck his shit up. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but it sounds really fun. All right, all right. Uh, from the Carpenters, next one is Big Trouble in Little China. Just a goddamn classic. Have you ever seen Big Trouble in Little China? I have seen Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, I figured like that's one of the really big ones that most people have seen. Uh, obviously, the it, it's it's his first comedy, really, because it's it's a horror movie, but it's also a comedy and it's also an action movie. Yeah, um, that, that's Kurt Russell too, isn't it? Yeah, except he's. He's sort of playing Snake again, but Snake if he was a buffoon. So it's a guy with the yeah. same it's the same energy as Snake, except he's totally ineffective, which is fun. Uh, and, you know, they, they go into Chinatown and they get surrounded by uh, mystical. Uh, there's there's like the there's that guy who looks like Raiden and has lightning powers and. Oh, yeah, like David Lopin or something. is. Yeah, David Lopin. And uh, he's got one buddy who is much more capable than him, even though he's sort of the sidekick character, except he's the one who's actually capable, of course. Great stuff. Just a classic. Uh, Also newly added, and this is the one that obviously is not available to pick right now, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, I I can't remember if I've seen that or not. It's one of those that I saw many times as a kid on TV because it's like it's the big high school movie. Uh, so it's written by Cameron Crowe based on uh, his own high school experience to some extent. Uh, this is before he was a director. Uh, but like, you know, he he went on to do like Almost Famous, Vanilla Sky, uh, Say oh, Anything, okay. Elizabeth Brown. Uh, and Fast Times is sort of his high school experience, was, which was weird because he was already writing for Rolling Stone at the time. So he had sort of a weird high school experience. And this is based on yeah. his memoir. Uh, okay, that's – yeah, that sounds of, interesting. Yeah, lots of famous people in this. Uh, it has Eric Stoltz, uh, Sean Penn, Judge Reinhold, Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Uh, it, it's, Judge it's, Reinhold's a real person? You don't know Judge, yeah, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> Arrested Development. I yeah, thought... that he plays himself. Yeah, no, real guy. Oh, he shit. was big in the 80s. He had a bunch of movies. I think he's sort of the main character in this. Uh, and, like, most famously, I guess, is Sean Penn as Spicoli, the sort of surfer stoner guy. He's uh, always dealing with, I, I think, it's it's this movie that has Ben Stein as the... And and he like orders a pizza to the classroom or something. It's been years since I've rewatched it. <laughs> you know, one of the big high school movies, big Hollywood high school movie. Uh, and last edition is Alone in the Dark, uh, which is not the the video game movie. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, this Maybe. is a, uh, this one looks really interesting. It's not a horror movie I've seen before. It's from '82, and it's about. Well, it's got an amazing cast for starters. It's uh, Jack Palance, Martin Landau, and Donald Pleasance as Ooh. these three guys who work. Or no, hmm, I don't know. I, I think they're the bad guys in this. Or they they work in. I, I think they all 
are inmates at a mental health, mental hospital or mental institution. Uh, and there's a new doctor at the institution and they all have come to believe that he killed their former therapist who they liked. And then there's okay. a power outage and they go on a rampage because the power goes out and they're all able to get out of the institution and they just, uh, they go, they go rampaging. I don't know much else about it, but it sounds pretty cool. And I don't know, it's, it's one of these early eighties ones that has been unavailable for a really long time and just came out. Uh, so that's all of the additions. Uh, so our first entry into the spooky stacks, uh, what shall we watch? Well, um, I, there is a lot on here and huge list. Like I said, the, the dead rise, uh, no, no stacks are inactive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you definitely linked this long before we, uh, started recording and I, definitely didn't start looking at it until just now <laughs> that, that is why i had linked it a couple times it's like probably worth checking ahead of time uh but yep, the yep, pluses, you did tell me that you did pluses, warn me because these are all horror movies i've watched almost all of them and know all of them very well that i have okay. seen so well, i can give lots we, of input there we go so the one that's pointing out to me i'm I'm going back into my judge book by its cover thing. I really like the uh, the uh, art on the thing for what is it? Knife plus heart. Oh, knife plus heart. So this is yeah, what I watched. I don't know anything about it. I just love the colors and the picture. That's a pretty cool movie. So that is um, I, I talked about this quite a while back. Probably one of our early episodes is around when I watched it. Uh, right. It's. It's sort of a queer version of Lamberto Bava's Delirium. So it's about this lady who runs a gay porn magazine and someone is murdering her models and sending the photos to her or something like that. You know, I I do vaguely remember talking about this like way, way, way back. Quite a while back. Yeah. One that... Uh, uh, and, Obviously, and we didn't pick it because right. Uh, it's it's from it's it's from Altered Innocence, who also did Lose, and it's kind of a oh, similar right. sort of atmosphere. Oh, interesting. Uh, very. It, it's got a lot of neon this time, though. Uh, it's it's like this one's more of a production. It's not just a student film, so it's able to do more with its visuals. Uh, and it has neon. a soundtrack. Yeah, and it's got a soundtrack by M83, who are really cool. A uh, really great electronic group or electronic indie stuff. All right. Um, so, yeah. How, how do you feel about doing that one for next week? Yeah, I'm totally done with that. I've only watched it the one time, so I'm totally into giving it a second spin, getting a closer look oh, at it. Cool. All right, cool. So next All right. week, we enter the spooky stacks, and we, will be, <laughs> we will be covering uh knife plus heart and john carpenter's starman which is uh not a horror movie but has some spookiness to it uh and uh we'll we'll be delving into the horrors uh starting with this week and i'm looking forward to it it's my favorite time of year i love no kidding oh i love halloween 
so good. Except that's not the one we're watching. Although we totally should do that at some point this week. You know, I think I think we have to. Yeah. One of the. There's reason it's at the top of one of the first ones on the list right now. This is like. Yeah, no, we're we're doing it. Yeah. Just not this. Not this week. Not first week. It's it's more of a later later in October one. It's Halloween after all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. Maybe we might do it. uh, Who knows? Who knows? Could be any (laughs) time. Okay. Uh, So, uh, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, as always, keep watching the stacks. Thank you, and have a good day, night, whenever you're watching this. Have a good nightmare. Spooky stacks. (laughs) Spooky.